everybody. Welcome to the New Market Alliance Church Podcast. For more information on the vision, programs, and news of our church, be sure to check us out at www.newmarketalliance.ca. We'd like to encourage you as well that no podcast, no matter how good, can substitute for the experience of joining together in person at a worship celebration. That's where God really meets people, often through the love and ministry of others. At NAC, we meet every Sunday at 10 a.m. Now let's join this week's teaching. It's about 18 years ago, if you can believe it, about 2001. And I'm a youth pastor in Chatham, Ontario. And I hear that there's going to be a talk on rock music, contemporary music. And I'm like, uh, I've heard this before. All music is bad. It's from the devil. So I go see this young strapping young man named Brett Ullman, and he talks about being discerning and that all culture isn't bad. But if we had the tools as parents and as youth to, to discern, uh, oh, what a breath of fresh air. That was really impactful for me because I'd heard all the throw the baby with the bathwater talks. Well, since that time, Brett, Brett was a teacher, sort of bivocational, but he has transitioned into um, giving talks really all around North America, some of the biggest festivals, Kingdom Bound and Breakforth and all over, and has expanded to talk about youth culture, about his own battle with anxiety and depression, and about this most pressing need, I feel, in our culture of pornography. And these are tough talks, all of them. And he does it with grace and with great information. Will you please welcome Brett Allman? I want to thank you for not introducing me as a porn expert, which happens half the time. Like half the time I have to go, I am not an expert on pornography. Um, How many of you have never heard me speak before? Just a quick show of hands, just so I know. It's almost all of you. Okay, Uh, let me give you two minutes on me and we'll get going. Uh, My name is Brett. I come from Ajax, which which is a wonderful drive on a Sunday because there's no traffic coming up. But uh, I go to a church called C4 Church, uh, Crothers Creek Community Church. That name will change in a few weeks, but that's what it is for now. My background is education. I was a teacher with the Toronto District School Board for 10 years. I taught in the Melbourne community of Scarborough, most of that. I spent most of my career teaching behavioral students. I did a class called Section 27, where my students actually came from jail and psychiatric. And then I spent the rest of my career teaching grades 7 and 8s, rotary science. Uh, I left that 15 years ago to do this, and this is actually all I do. I get a chance to travel and speak and research on topics, and I love the summer series kind of title, this idea of holy discontent, because it was a book by Bill Hybels called Holy Discontent, which just revolutionized and changed my life. Every talk I've ever done has come from a holy discontent that I have, speaking to parents, speaking to students, seeing destruction, looking at how can we change some of these things. So uh, I speak, my biggest talk is a talk I do now called Navigating Everything. It's a talk for parents looking at communication, discipline, time, presence. I then probably would say my mental health talk is my next biggest, and it's actually biggest journey for me. I, I had to laugh. I spoke last week at a camp, and someone said, oh, he's the speaker who sits the whole time. And I laughed. I've sat for seven years now. Uh, I, had, I was speaking 300 speaking dates a year uh, back in 2012 to pay for my master's degree I was doing in Chicago. And then I graduated, uh, collapsed, and spent a year of my life at home. Uh, Anxiety, panic, depression, things that I speak on for a living. And uh, seven years later, I still struggle. And I have a new journey. We chatted on the phone a bit. Um, I've been diagnosed with Lyme disease about three months ago. So my naturopath said, I don't know if you're just really unlucky and you have a mental health journey and a journey with Lyme, or if it actually is the answer to your journey. So I'm in kind of a new season for that. I also speak on... There's kind of four conversations that I think are all part of the same thing. Pornography, dating, and the topic of sex. All of those are looking at how do we help, not only from a parenting standpoint, helping our kids, but how do we get a biblical worldview of sexuality, right? That's just something we need. I call it a Christian sexual ethic, right? How how does what we do kind of flow through a biblical worldview? And I also have a talk I do on men as well, really just challenging us to be better fathers and husbands and boyfriends. Uh, I was at a talk uh, last year doing this, and a woman passed out from hyperventilating in the first 10 minutes. So let me just say this. 
please just breathe. There are zero images. There's zero graphics. We're not, I'm not saying, here, look, look what's in Game of Thrones. Like, we're not doing anything. Like, we know the world is the way it is. We want to look at how we can be better. So that's kind of what the idea is today. Uh, the only weird thing is, is that for some of you, you're sitting with family members. And I think that's actually good. If there's questions that have come up, you, you are there then to, as a family unit, kind of walk through these things. And then we're there as pastors and leaders and other people afterwards. Uh, my greatest fear with this talk is really simple, though. It's to break broken people. I, of all the talks, this is my, my worst fear. Like, you come out to church tonight or today, and, you know, it's, you feel beaten down because you struggle with this. And so here's the struggle. How do I have a conversation on pornography without making you feel broken and beaten down? And I would say, well, we do this by kind of walking into this this morning by dealing it with two contexts. The first would be we do it within the context of a loving and a forgiving God. And the second would be we do this within a context of a loving and a forgiving community. And if you want a verse, uh, I would say, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Uh, as a side note, uh, you can use your doodle pads. Am I using that correctly? Term? Uh, you can use that, or you can take out your phone. You can take pictures of any slide that you like. I have no problem with that. I always laugh when someone's taking pictures behind someone's head so I can't see it. It's like, just go ahead. It's, it's all good. Uh, but this is the verse for the morning, and I've tried to uh, summarize talks in one slide. So the talk today would be this. Stop looking at porn. But this is really easy to say. It is really, really hard to do. And so this is kind of how most people feel with their journeys. Thousands upon thousands of emails, messages, conversations after talks where people talk about the destruction in their homes, divorce, breakups, addiction, no hope, people just feeling numb to this conversation. And we need to meet people where you're at. And in this room, there are different people in different stages. And this quote I really like, it says, arguably, there's never been a more confusing, stressful time to be a teenager with so much information available and so little education on the topic of creating a Christian sexual ethic. How were you taught as an adult to connect your ancient faith with your modern world? And how are we then imparting that to students today? And I find often most churches don't speak about this ever. I was invited to speak at a church uh, last summer on sex. And I thought, great, what a great thing to do on a summer. And the person said, but we have one little caveat with that. You just can't use the word sex throughout it. I didn't, like, what do you say to that? Like, I don't even, I didn't go. I mean, it was a discussion we had to have and they wanted me to speak on sex, but only use a few verses that didn't actually say the word other than sexual immorality. And that was going to be it. So uh, please have opinions. I always say I would rather you have a different opinion than me than no opinion at all. And opinions mean if you have something different, come and talk to me afterwards. All my talks I say I do with an open hand, meaning I do not have everything together. So if you think you have a better verse, a better thought, something I'm doing wrong, come and tell me. Send me a message and we can discuss it. And if I need to change things, I will. Uh, the one that kind of the chords at the bottom, I want to be utterly biblical, but incredibly practical. And those things are not oxymorons. Right? We have to be able to connect what we say on a Sunday as we walk out and head back into Newmarket and wherever we live in our life. It is a toolbox. Uh, and someone once said to me, I don't understand that analogy. And I, I'm like, well, think of a box of tools. There's no one tool. It's not just like you have a hammer, right? There's other things that are in it. And that's going to be the talk today. There's more than one thing. And it will start with you. Uh, I do assume that some of you uh, currently struggle with pornography. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands. I was actually at a conference once. Uh, it's kind of weird. So I'm in a hockey arena. It's about 3,000 students. And I'm doing a special luncheon on pornography. And so they put me at this end of the hall, and at this end of the hall was lunch. And so they said to everyone, well, get up, and then if you're going to the talk on porn, it's over here, and lunch is over here. But everybody watched who went where. And I watched people start to go to the porn talk, and then kind of leave, and then no one actually showed up. This was a number of years ago, and we didn't really address these things. Uh, I assume some of you are addicted. I think some of you who are addicted want to break free. I think some of you who are addicted do not want to break free. Uh, as I said at the beginning, there's no images and pictures that will disturb you. I do think if you're a student in the room, you are the first generation to be born with porn in your pocket, uh, meaning that you have a phone that can attach to things that my generation never even had a chance to look at when we were younger. Uh, and I do think also most books are written from a male perspective on this. So if there's quotes and they say he, for any woman in the room, it should be he or she. Because the, there's been changes statistically. I was at a conference on pornography in Ottawa last year. 
and uh, Daniel Gilman was speaking, and he talked about how, for my generation, I'm 48, it's like mostly men and a few women, and as you go down the generations, it changes. Today, in a college university environment, it's even both men and women struggle at almost the same thing. And it's not that men struggled less, it's actually this, men struggled and women kind of joined men in that struggle. Uh, and I would say this, you need to find your process. This is a process, not an event. And I do say this with this little caveat, unless you get miraculously healed of this. And uh, just like with my mental health, I pray for healing. I had once said, had about 10,000 people praying for me a day. And I didn't get healed. And God is still God. And I'm still not. But I still pray for healing. And the same with this. I hear people who get healed of porn addictions and heroin addictions. And I know people who pray and don't get healed. And so we, we, I'm an and person. I'm not an or person. So like, of course, we continue to pray while we also do other things as well. And your journey will look different. But you are responsible for yourself. And you will have to find a path to your healing. But one of the bigger questions I get in research is, is porn a sin? Now, if you're using the word sin, sin is really as opposed to other terms. But the truth is, sin is just theologically wrong. Like, we say sin means it's theological, and yes, porn is a sin from a theological standpoint, but we don't often talk about the other things. It's wrong from a morality standpoint. It's dangerous from a justice standpoint. We'll do that more later. It's very unhealthy from an addiction standpoint, and the destruction is unreal. Speak to any pastor, speak to anyone that I know, and you will see the destruction that pornography has had. Uh, in the last two years, I've had five friends in full-time quote-unquote ministry, four men and one woman, have to leave due to addiction pornographies, which has just overtaken their life. Tulian Tavigian, if you don't know him, he's Billy Graham's grandson, once said, sin is deep, it is real, it destroys, it deceives. And if you know Tulian's journey, that makes a lot of sense as he's fallen and had many issues. I have a couple quick videos for you. These are used with permission from a video called uh, Heart of The Heart of the Matter Movie, and I'll give you the link at the end. Uh, they're just really interesting. Watch this one, though. It is a son and parents. They were two separate interviews, and watch how they actually just mold them together. Have a listen. I wanted to hide from my parents. I wanted to keep it a secret and... And I also wanted to continue doing it. I had no intention of stopping it. And as things went along, there were other, other times that he was caught. When they would confront me about it, I would always lie. I would always take that chance of not having to deal with the consequences or the punishments. And so every time I got caught, I would just kind of begrudgingly go through whatever I, my parents made me do. And then, you know, it was just a learning experience for next time, how to hide it better. We kept wanting to lock him down you know, passwords on the computer and watching every single thing that he was doing or not doing and being feeling suspicious. And with all of that suspicion came more and more, um, we have to fix this. Eventually it started turning into harder pornography and getting into chat rooms and, um, and things like that. With each time he got caught, there was more and more anxiety of, what is, why can't he stop doing this? What is wrong? And, and more har harsh consequences. He needs tougher consequences. We need to tell him meaner things. We need to, we've got to stop the behavior. I just drilled into me that you need to hide this. You need to keep this secret from everyone. Everyone loves you and praises you and gives you attention when you do all these other things. So keep doing those things and then just keep this aspect of your life secret. It's interesting, I speak in my parenting talk on the idea of over-parenting. And if you look at the parents here, I hear a lot of over-parenting. We needed to, we needed to. Not talking about how we, like that's more telling than it is teaching someone how to deal with something. Uh, there's a, a woman I met at a conference last year and her website's named The Beggar's Daughter. And she actually is one of the few people I know in the world who speak on pornography from a woman's perspective. Uh, this is her kind of story, have a listen to this. I did get a summons to the dean's office after a month and a half of being at college. And I went in, and there was a red folder sitting on the table between us, and it was an internet history report from my student account, and it was all pornography. It represented hours of searching in the month and a half that I had been there. And I remember sitting there thinking, what's wrong with me? Because that was the first time that I had really come to grips with how big of a problem this was. She started to talk about how we know this wasn't you. Women just don't have this problem. And I didn't even get a chance to tell her she was wrong. 
I hear that in homes and in churches ongoing, that idea of, well, it could not have been you because you're a woman. And again, we need to make sure we address this from both perspectives as men and women. What most people who struggle with porn say is, never again. You say never again, only to fail again. You all know the definition of insanity. It's doing the same thing over and over and expecting a different result. It's basically this, though. If you say it's the last time, but it's just words, nothing will change. If you really want change, you're going to have to actually make something change. I love this kind of the idea of stopping the dominoes, right? It's a physical change you're going to have to do. I'm flying at West a couple years ago, and I'd seen all the movies that were on the plane so far, and I ended up watching the movie Battleship with Liam Neeson. Anybody see it? Aliens are attacking the world. It's really cheesy. But there's this one scene when the, the, the like, U.S. warship is going to attack this alien ship, and Liam Neeson turns to this guy, and he says, prepare to fire. And this random guy's like, sir, which weapons? And Liam, like Liam Neeson does, pauses and says, all of them. And then they pan to this scene. I just copied it off. I just hit pause and made a screenshot, but every single thing on the ship fires, and the whole ship lists sideways. It was awesome. That is not what I see in the church. To the, to the battle on pornography, I do not see all hands on deck. I do not see all weapons firing. In the book Clean, they say the war over lust is multidimensional. In this war to be clean, you have several battlefronts, many battlefronts and many weapons. There's a book called It's a Good Old World, the author Bruce Barton once said, what a curious phenomenon it is that you can get men to die for the liberty of the world who will not make the little sacrifice that's needed to free themselves from their own individual bondage. So here's the morning, and I apologize that they're all bees. I'm not into alliteration. It just happened to be bees. It's the only talk I have that has three bees. Uh, but beliefs, we're going to say, what is pornography? Stats, history, theology. In behaviors, we'll do addiction, accountability, lifestyle, and environment. And beyond you, we're going to look at people beyond us. Now, I also think it's really important we define porn. And we use the term creep. And someone said to me, are you calling me a creep if I look at porn? And I jokingly said, well, yeah. And I said, but no, that's not what we're talking about. I said, porn creep is where you look at something more innocent. Like, you start looking at a picture on Facebook of someone, and then you look at pictures of Facebook of someone wearing less and less clothes, and then, right, it's the idea of creeping down to things. So this is like magazines, TV movies, social media. Now, when we say the word, we're doing a talk on porn today, I think everyone knows what we're talking about, like internet pornography. But then it kind of goes even deeper, thought life, online chatting, sexting, and then greater sexual deviances as well. Again, all of this fits into this, having a biblical worldview of sexuality. Uh, sexual uh, ethic, uh, what I just think is this overarching Christian worldview for our sex life. Russell Brand, who once was married to Katy Perry, once said that porn is icebergs of filth floating through every house on Wi-Fi. Really interesting. By the way, everyone thinks he's an idiot. He's actually brilliant. He's got multiple degrees. His books are absolutely high-level readings. So beliefs. First off, uh, let's just do some history. Uh, and so I'm born 1971, so I wasn't even in the first one here, but the first one was print magazines, literal like magazines of pornography, small amounts of magazines, small amounts of films, and a small amount of what we call adult theaters. Now, if you don't know what that is, it's like going to an AMC uh, landmark, I don't know, what, we, what do you have in Newmarket? Cineplex Odeon. Uh, it's like going to a theater and watching pornography with your friends. It's creepy, it's weird, but th there was no internet at that time. Uh, then we hit the late 70s and things kind of grew. VCRs came, they had the big VCR tapes. Uh, people could now watch pornography in their homes. Uh, there was what co was called fuzzy cable porn channels. Uh, only people my age know what that even is. Today, if you don't get like Sportsnet, there'll be a black screen with white text and it'll say call whoever to, to sign up for it. Back in the day, and I don't like saying that, but they basically took all the lines and just scrambled them a little bit. But if you stared at it long enough, once every 15 minutes, all the things went together and you got one quick image of pornography. Many, many men and women my age had incredible headaches from this because you'd spend three hours staring at a screen. Head into the 90s, uh, now we have on-demand uh, and other things. And during this time too, we're seeing less adult theaters, less adult bookstores. I'm speaking at a Christian school in Peterborough once and I finished speaking in the morning and uh, I left and so I was heading out to lunch, and so there was a subway in an adult bookstore, and I do what I tell you not to. I'm looking at my phone, and I open the door, and I walk in, and there's some weird music, and I looked up. I'm standing in the adult bookstore, 
And I must have had this weird look on my face. And the guy said, Subway? I'm like, yeah. He said, it's next door. So I open the door and I walk out. As I walk out, the entire Christian school staff is coming to Subway for lunch. <laughs> First time in my life, I didn't know what to say. I, I kind of choked. I said, I, a few times. And they burst out laughing. said, we watched you walk in and watched you walk out. But can you imagine today? Like, can you imagine I come and speak and tomorrow someone tweets a picture of me coming on an adult bookstore and you don't know the reality of what's actually happening? Mid-1990s, uh, the internet came to be, but it was a joke. Do you all remember the internet when it came to be? Pictures would load like one line at a time. Mid-2000s, everything changed. High-speed internet, streaming, live chatting, movies. We believe pornography has grown 1,000% since then. I met a talk and a woman actually stood up and said, you're wrong. It's interesting having debates like that during talks. And I just said, are you going higher or lower? And she said, much higher. She said, I work in that industry, much, much higher. And I was kind of floored. So even a thousand percent is argued that there's more people doing it. And addiction began to grow. Porn became anonymous, which it sort of is, but sort of not. Uh, it's affordable, free often, and it's accessible. And the accessibility is our scary thing as parents, meaning any kid of any age can now go and just click on something. And I always say to parents in my talks, like, if you don't tell your kids what certain things are, they will go and find them. Because the schoolyard conversation will use a term like oral sex or something, and they will then, if you don't teach them, they're going to go online and Google that. Which would you rather, an uncomfortable moment with you as you blush and explain something, or them Googling what that means? Right? Many kids and many, many kids have become teens and older and be, have become addicted to that because they just didn't know conversations. Statistics, they say, and this is from Covenant Eyes, who I believe is probably the leader in the industry right now from a Christian perspective looking at this. 50 to 60% of Christian men and one in five Christian women say that they're addicted to pornography. Now, this isn't just someone who struggles. I believe we kind of have people who dabble, struggle, and then addiction. But this is like, this is a lot of people. Mark Driscoll once said years ago, you and I are born into a world where it seems like sexual sin and perversion of all sort and kind is normative because it's all we've ever known. But it's not normative, it's deviant. For the students in the room, you don't know this, but the world wasn't always as sexualized or pornified as it is today. As adults, we've watched the world change. Growing up, I didn't drive down, you know, into downtown Toronto and see billboards with half-naked, like, lingerie ads. Like, things just weren't the same. Tim Challies says, one of my favorite blogs. By the way, that little tick mark means that every single thing that I have written on this blog or anything I pulled from this talk is all on my website for you. And I'll explain where you can find it later. Pornolescence, he's saying pornography in adolescence is that period where a person is old enough and mature enough to know that their pornography is wrong and that it exacts a heavy price, but too immature or too apathetic to do anything about it. I believe that's one of the biggest things today. We like it too much or we just don't want to change so theology should, like theology is the study of Christian faith. This should be the answer, but too often it's not. Here's the real question I actually want to ask you. It's, it's this, how many times this week did you have any meaningful engagement with Jesus? Because that's what I want to ask. Like, if the answer is zero, how on earth do I tell you you shouldn't do something because what the Bible says, when the Bible means nothing to you? We claim Christian faith once a week coming to church, but then we live life like an atheist the rest of our life, not looking through a biblical lens of what we do, what we watch, what we listen to, how we act, how we are. Uh, Larry Crabb says a great line in his book, Shattered Dreams. Because we focus more on our longings than our evil, we see ourselves not as hopelessly arrogant, worth of eternal misery, but as scoldably selfish, deserving perhaps a slap on the wrist. I don't think we fear God anymore in our Western culture. If you go overseas to Africa and you go overseas to parts of Asia and South America, I think you see that. There's also a lot more discrimination and, and things that are on them, but I don't think we really fear God. Now, I could spend all morning, and if you go to Bible college, we could debate the word porneia ad nauseum, and most of you would be really bored. We're, we're looking at a specific bit of language, how it's used, but I would just say this. The context of all these letters that Paul wrote are that believers should not conform to the cultural norms that the church found itself confronted with in that time and day. Today, pornography is one of those for us. I wondered if I should go through stories 
whether it's Samson, uh, Joseph and Potiphar's wife, David and Bathsheba, like there's many of these we could talk to, talking about kind of creating a sexual ethic. Uh, I really love Philippians, like looking at what is noble, right, pure, lovely, like this is a great thing. How about just 1 Thessalonians 5.22, avoid every kind of evil. The Bible is just filled with all these verses, and I struggled with what to do. So I just kind of throw them all out there. The ideas of repentance. Uh, how about the idea of purity? Create in me a pure heart, like so flee youthful passions. The renewing of your mind to me is a daily thing. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. There is need to be deeply grieved by these struggles, not make it this scheduled failure. Uh, fleeing and running from sexual morality. Uh, a friend of mine named Mark Clark uh, actually is at a church called uh, Village out in British Columbia, and he actually says you should physically run. Like he says, if you get tempted by this, put on your running shoes and out you go. Go do 5K and you might feel a bit better. Uh, and then there's Covenant. When I was a junior high, uh, it wasn't, if you're in junior high, it's not Job, it's Job 31.1. Um, I remember reading this, looking lustfully at a woman, because there was a disconnect between what I was being taught, between how it applied to my regular life. I think James has the best one, though, death. Sin leads to death. Pornography leads to death. The translations will differ. The principle's always the same. Death, death of marriage, death of relationships, death of your faith, death of your witness, and the list goes on. Tim Challies wrote a really good book. By the way, if you like... Uh, if you're not a big reader, this is a mini book. Like, it's a thin, tiny little book. Detox comes in two parts, he says. This two-step process is familiar to anyone who has studied what the Bible calls sanctification. The putting off of the old, the putting on of the new, the rejection of pornography, and the embrace of a godly view of sexuality. In the book Clean, they say, We have all seen great men, I'd add, and, and women of God, excelling in the Lord and moving towards global impact, only to succumb to sexual sin. Suddenly, all they can do is watch as their ministries, families, and reputations crumble in shame. Uh, in the book, uh, Clean Again, they say, this, they say, if the devil can seduce you, he can reduce you. I don't like play on words, but that actually I don't mind. Galatians 6, don't be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. And Numbers 32, 23, be sure your sin will find you out. What I want you to be, from a theological standpoint, is spiritually healthy, and I have a talk uh, I do on spiritual disciplines, but a, a spiritual discipline is just, it's like training. I've coached rep baseball most of my life. I can teach you how to be a better ball player. But it's the same with this. We need to teach people how to be better Christians. This is things like reading and praying and fasting and studying and having a Sabbath and what you do with your money, volunteering. Did you change that word? Servant, I like that even better. Uh, communion, like evangelism, all of these kinds of things. I want you, like, if we're going to look at how we can attack pornography, be spiritually healthy. While you're doing that, be physically healthy. We only have a few kind of things, right? Body, mind, and soul. Be spiritually, physically, and emotionally healthy. Exercise more, sleep better, diet, eat well. Be strong in all of these things. And while you're doing that, you will probably find you can overcome some of these temptations better. There's also the behaviors that we have to change. Now, I do realize I need to change this. I have boxing gloves, so anyone my age gets it. This should actually be like taped up wrists and knuckles from MMA, which is what anyone who's younger would grasp. The point is, it's a fight. An addiction is a battle. In the book, Wired for Intimacy, but calls to pray harder, move the computer to the living room, and get plugged into an accountability group only go so far they come across as hollow to the many men and women whose brains have been altered and rewired by their experiences with pornography. Now, someone once in a while wants to debate whether it is addiction or it is compulsion. I think that's semantics. Both are bad. I believe this is addiction. I believe video games is actually compulsion. Now, both are bad. Both have bad things. But again, it's just how we word it. The most interesting thing about pornography, I find, is this. The greatest group of people in the world that I see trying to break people free from pornography is not the church. It's 20-something non-Christian guys. So think of a worldview of a non-Christian guy. You know, sex before marriage is fine. You know, all this kind of stuff, not for all people, but for many. And so these guys are trying to sleep with their girlfriends. And after years of pornography, Different, 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 right? Novelty, 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 novelty. Different video, different video. They then cannot get aroused by their girlfriend. And they're like, what's going on? 
forums are popping up. Uh, there's one on Reddit called NoFap. That's a slang term for no masturbation. They actually call themselves Fapstronauts, and they have an astronaut floating in space, which I find really funny. I don't know why. Um, they have, uh, as of last week, I think it was over 400,000 people who were on this site. This is just North American for the most part. Why BOP, Your Brain on Porn, is a TED Talk, one of the most ever viewed on TED. Brian, I say Brian Wilson, and I don't know if that's just the Beach Boys, but something like that. But his website gets 20,000 unique new people every day, every day. And if you talk to counselors even in the church world, many will tell me that a large part of their practice these days is couples who come in and usually the guy. Now, women struggle with porn, but don't have the same like physiological reaction, this porn-induced erectile dysfunction. Starts with lower reactions to porn, then there's this drop in libido, and then it becomes impossible to get an erection. Statistics from McLean's Magazine, one in three Canadian college-age men today. One in three. Like, we're in trouble. Again, that battleship thing, like, that needs to be our response to this, addressing it in church, addressing it in small groups and families, right? Like, empowering us to teach kids, students, equipping you in what to do. Uh, I do think we need to reboot. Now, if you are a juicer, you probably know a guy named Joe Cross, and he talks about rebooting from a juicing standpoint. I think it's great. We're talking about it from a different standpoint. It's basically the idea of taking 90 days and just taking anything that's sexualized out of your life. Also remembering that pornography, if we're going to define it, is anything that's trying to kind of arouse you, right? So it could be a movie, could be music, could be something else. But for 90 days, has anyone ever been out of the country? Like I was out of the country for a year after high school. I remember coming back in and realizing, wow, it's so sexualized. My kids just went to camp and came back after being seven weeks at Camp Minioe and home with their friends. They're like, it's interesting. Again, the dykes, she just said, so positive at camp. Everything's chaos the moment that you're home. But for 90 days, try to detox. And what I've heard from many, many people is, is like, it was like you were kind of that frog in the boiling water, right? We were getting worse and worse. We didn't notice it, right? So if you don't know that analogy, a frog will sit in a pot of boiling water till it dies. So I think we just need to try this for 90 days and see where it takes us. And accountability is not a game. It's not a porn cop. Uh, I've had two accountability. I have my own accountability partners. I have five. Um, only one matters, though, in my mind. I have uh, two board members, two friends, and my wife. This is the big debate we get in men's things. Should your wife be your accountability partner? I, I'm, you, like, I'm at a conference once. I'm the only guy of 500 people who believes it should be. If my friends know that I struggled one day with porn, do I care? No. Because they probably struggled with porn. What do we do, like high five, fist bump? Like, what do you do with that? That doesn't help each other. If my wife finds out that I struggle with porn, devastating. That's why she's on that for me. So I'm uh, asked a couple years ago to be an accountability partner for a friend of mine. He lives out of province. Uh, and so we're, we're on Skype. And I said, like, I, I don't really want to do this, but I've known you for a while. I, I'll be your accountability partner. And I said, I have one rule. He said, what? I said, I get anything that I want. So if I ask you for something, you give it to me. He's like, all right. So I said, are, are we on? He said, yes. I said, great. Uh, I need your uh, Netflix username and password. And it, it paused. I said, oh, did we freeze? He goes, no, no. Uh, why do you want that? And I said, well, I want to. I said, in it, you can see viewing activity. I can see all the movies you view. I kind of want to see what you're up to. And he said, I, uh, I can't give it to you. And I'm like, and that's why we're not accountability partners anymore. Like, what, 38 seconds in? <laughs> See, this is it. He doesn't want an accountability partner. He wants someone to say that things are going well or, like, I don't know. Like, if he really wants accountability, he would say, here it is, and I'm struggling a bit with this. Then we can look at how to fix that. I can pray with him. We can support each other. Another one, which was the worst one, a friend of mine uh, we both love Mac computers, and I'm over at his house one day with his family, and we're chatting, and he goes, oh, so I installed Covenant Eyes, which is what I'll talk to you about later. It's an accountability thing on my computer. And so he shows it to me, and I'm like, good. And again, I'm his accountability partner, and I said, anything I want, I get. So I said, can I have your laptop? And he's like, sure. Look, Covenant Eyes, he smiles. I said, have you saved everything? He said, yeah, why? And I'm holding, so I reboot, and I'm holding down the option key. If you know Mac, you can actually hold two operating systems in this. I can hold a Windows and a Mac. As soon as he saw me hitting the option key, he quickly grabbed the computer out of my hands. And again, I said, and we're not accountability partners anymore. 
It's a joke. He, he doesn't want me to, he wants, he's telling me and smiling, look how good I am with covenant eyes, knowing all well he has a second operating system where he's struggling. Right? Again, this is where your worldview shapes your values. Your values shape your actions. He's not even changing his worldview. He's basically saying, what I'm doing is fine, and I want other people to kind of make me feel like it's fine. And accountability should be an already existing dynamic and friendship that flows naturally from looking out for each other's best interests. There are some really good products. Covenant Eyes has on their website a PDF of about 70 pages. Uh, and it's based on prayer, confession, and encouragement. And meeting together, excuse me, meeting together is the only one I'm kind of like, if you can, perfect. You know what I mean? Like, you and I are close to Newmarket. If we're doing this, we could meet somewhere. Like, that's different. But if you have people at, like, one of my, these, these guys was in Alberta. We're not meeting together. But uh, it could be meeting together or Skyping. Now, I did a YouTube video on this, and so I'm just going to go through them quickly. There's a lot of different things you can put in your home, but no one should have any home internet running, church internet running, I think, or even products that don't have filtering on them. The world is just too tempting today for people of all ages. So I run covenant eyes on desktops, laptops. It means I can go anywhere I want. In a few weeks, a few months, I'm going to be in Kelowna, and I'm out in Moncton, uh, and I can, I'm in a hotel in a town no one knows me. And remember, who you really are is who you are behind closed doors. And so uh, I can go wherever I want. It doesn't block anything. And then they get these emails that say, you know, Brett went to a questionable site. And that's where you kind of get the accountability. There are some other good products. If you have younger kids, Custodio, it's like custodian. Um, OpenDNS, I run with Covenant Eyes on my home computer. If you know computers, the router, the box with usually the black rabbit ears, but the, the box that gives you Wi-Fi, you run this on it and it blocks almost all pornography from your home. Now, you will also learn with people who struggle with these things, uh, if we don't deal with the addictive behavior, we go from like, okay, I can't get it through the internet now, I'll see something on Netflix. Oh, Netflix, I can't get it, I'll get it from somewhere. Like, people move their addictions and change them. And there's some really good things, if you have younger kids, for sure, um, Circle, which is a square. Anyone else find that confusing? So you can get the, the square circle uh, at Best Buy, but it actually attaches, like you attach your iPad, your kid's iPad to it, and you can then set everything from bedtimes when it turns off. You can see what they do. And the truth is, parents, today, if you have an iPhone, I know iPhone world, but they have like family settings where I can see everything my kids ever view how much time they're spending on an ongoing basis. Now, I actually really believe that that has to be talked about and not just, like, it's not just me monitoring them, but uh, we look at how much time we're spending on the internet because I think we spend too much time on it. And we talk about social media and those things as well. Filters in, are most useful in less severe cases and almost useless in what we will just call addiction. Uh, and there's brain chemistry, we call it neuroplasty, is the idea of your brain can change like from healthy to addiction. But this kind of thing is often said, neurons that fire together, wire together, but also neurons that fire apart, wire apart, meaning we can change this. So for any of you in this room who are desperately trying to break free from these things, change can happen. It's not easy, but it can happen. It might mean making lifestyle changes. And again, everything I'm saying is and. We're still doing the faith component, we're doing the accountability. We're also now doing lifestyle. Now, if you've been in the church world for a while, you've probably heard the acronym HALT. You know, when you're hungry, uh, angry, lonely, or tired, or alone. My wife and I argue, is it alone or angry? And I think I'm actually wrong. I think it actually is angry. But they say, when you have these emotions or these things in your life, you're most likely to fail in temptation. And I, I kind of laugh, like, I'm always hungry. I'm alone half my life. I, I travel for a living. I'm always tired because I don't sleep with mental health. But this is not an exhaustive list. What about everything else? What about temptation, addiction, curiosity, something we have to not let our kids have? Curiosity must be something that we, as parents, right, dinner table conversations, uh, self-injury, people who do things to, to get beyond overwhelming feelings, thoughts, and emotions, and the list of other things. So growing up, uh, I was always taught the three-second rule, alert, avert, and affirm. And I always used to laugh because it was kind of like, well, you can look at a girl, you know, it's all these guys together. You can look at a girl for three seconds, but more than three seconds is a sin. And it's like, that's so dumb. 
really, like, where did two seconds be good and three seconds be bad? I also grew up in the world of purity culture, which blamed women for these conversations, how they dressed, and not men and our issues for this as well. There's some great blogs talking about the purity culture and how much damage it's done. If you haven't seen the uh, documentary, uh, I Survived Kiss Stating Goodbye, it's on Prime Video right now. Really, really well worth the watch. But we, we can't, with all these discussions, throw, you know, throw out the baby with the bathwater. There are good content things we have, but there's other things that have hurt people. Uh, looking at the idea of seeing someone, uh, this is not looking at the idea of pornography, but just even like walking down the street. This is a psychologist, if I'm correct. Have a listen to him. How does someone ever get away from the fact that they're just triggered by certain things or they think something's beautiful? That's the way we're built instinctively. Just need to acknowledge that. You don't need to feel horrible or terrible about that. That's just normal. That's, that's human nature. But if you can acknowledge that, surrender to it in that you don't fight it. You don't go, oh, don't, don't look at that. That's bad. Because the minute you do that, you kick off the beast part of the brain where it goes, you're saying that's bad. And it actually increases your capacity to want to look at that. And so you let it go. Oh, there's something beautiful. Yep, that's beautiful. So be it. And then you're aware of where it will take you because you've been down this road so many times before that you simply play the tape all the way through. So if I go into this place and lust for that, it's going to create problems. Mindfully, one chooses to direct because they're trained to do that. That's what treatment can help one do. They're trained to put their thoughts gently in another direction and then faith that they will have the power to do that, that is what is working. I don't have to shame myself anymore because I ex acknowledge and accept the limbic part of the brain and how it works. Of course it's going to be attracted to this stuff. It would be unnatural if it wasn't attractive. Now, what we choose to do with it after we acknowledge that and learn what really surrender means, that's where we become accountable for our actions. I love the science behind that, just, but just the simplicity of, like, gently move your thoughts. And I think that a lot these days. I like that. Environment is a huge one we have to change. Now, for some people who are, if you think of like struggle or dabble struggle addiction, for people who just kind of struggle once in a while, often it will actually be because it's habitual. So I would play hockey growing up for years. I would get home at one in the morning. If anyone ever, ever played hockey, you can't fall asleep. So you go downstairs, you turn the TV, and there's not good things on at that time of day. And I would struggle. Well, I just didn't go downstairs anymore. Like, there's things you can change in your life if you're doing these things. Uh, you also, if every time you get to your desk, you end up going on something you shouldn't. Some people, it's as simple as just moving your room. Like, you know, if your window's here, and now you put your desk here, the window's here. It's just, it's just changing habitual things. We're incredibly habitual people. And so it's a simple thing. It might work. It doesn't work for everybody. For some of you, it's actually physically changing your room. A number of years ago, a girl from a church is at University of Toronto, a Christian girl, three Christian roommates, and she and I began talking. She talked to me after a church, for, for after a service like this. Uh, she struggles with pornography every night. She's a pastor's daughter at school and struggles with pornography all night because her three friends who she lives with have um, night classes. She has only day classes. So she says, they all leave at four and I'm home alone till 10. And she's just broken. What to do? And so we chatted for a while. And she's doing some of the other things, but she just really struggles with the temptation. So I went to University of Toronto. And if you ever went there, you, the Robarts Library is the largest library in Canada. It looks like a peacock if you've ever driven by it. And so I said to her, have you ever been there? She said, no. I said, why don't you study in the biggest room of Robarts in the middle chair, like right in the middle of the room? I said, do you ever struggle looking at porn with people around you? She's like, no. I'm like, yeah, most people don't. And so she actually set this up with her friends. One of her friends walks her to Robarts, says goodnight, or says, you know, see you later, goes to her class. Another one of her friends on the way home picks her up from Robarts and brings her home. Is that not community? Like, we sing about community, but like, that is four girls living out Christian community. We do need less time alone, and I'm not saying that we can't just be home and be alone and have time and a Sabbath and things, but uh, things have changed a bit, especially with students. I mean, growing up, most students used to work. Now, even the majority of even university students don't work. So there's a lot of home time. And I think a part-time job might help you in just, if you're struggling every day being at home, it's okay to be out a couple nights a week. 
Uh, music, the sexualized music. Uh, there was a study done that says people who listen to sexualized music are more sexually involved. And I'm like, do we really put money into these? Like, probably, if you listen to that kind of music, you're probably more likely to do those things. TV, thoughts, fantasy. John Piper wrote this when he was asked if uh, Christians can watch the show Game of Thrones, which just ended. The closer I get to death and meeting Jesus personally face-to-face and giving an account for my life, for my careless words that I've spoken, the more sure I am of my resolve never intentionally to look at a television show or a movie or a website or a magazine where I know I will see photos or films of nudity. Never. That's my resolve. And the closer I get to death, the better I feel about that and the more committed I become. It's an interesting, I actually have taken a vow kind of like that right now, that there are things I'm just not going to put into my life. And if I ever have to research a movie that there's going to be a scene, I do it with my wife so we can, she can see me fast forward it. It's just making some things in my life so that I don't fall into traps. And relapse, by the way, is not some unfortunate event that happens to you. After people are doing well, it becomes this series of bad choices that we make. So the last section is just beyond you. And I think we often don't look beyond us. Uh, There's this objectification of women that just has become normal. I am at a, uh, where was I last year? I'm at a conference, and at night I was watching the, I think it was the Grammys. And so uh, there was these, all these conversations on the hashtag MeToo movement, which I think has gone a little too far, but I think is great, right? We're challenging men to be better men, and that bad is not okay, right? Misogyny is not okay. And so there's great speeches, and people clapped, and after one of them, everyone sat down, and then Rihanna came out and sang a song, and the first words out of her mouth, you want to see me naked, naked, naked. And I said to my wife, like, how, how is that possible? Like, there's such a disconnect where everyone claps about that, but the moment that someone's being objectified, no one seems to care. And then the song of the year went to Bruno Mars. Bruno Mars' song was basically this transactional sex thing, which most of us don't even realize. I'll give you champagne on ice, trips to Paris, all these things for something. The song was written by nine people, including Bruno. Not one word of love, not one word of dating, not one word of anything other than what can I give you to get something back. And then we wonder why we're confused. And this is where, again, we have to have conversations in these things over and over and over again. Even dating, and I have a talk, an older talk on dating in a U- on YouTube, and I have a newer one I do now. Young people have described to us again and again that pornography is shaping their sexual imaginations, expectations, and practices. We've had many young men who've been genuinely surprised that when they enact what they see in porn, their partner doesn't like it. It doesn't like what they were doing because they've always seen women doing it on the screen. There's this belief that girls believe they have to provide the porn experience for men, and I'd say, ladies, you are not a porn experience for a guy you were dating. Even this idea of I have to satisfy someone else isn't this biblical worldview of two people in mutual stuff. Like, this is even in marriages we need to address this idea that sex is not for a man, that it's a bigger conversation on that. There's some really good podcasts I've been doing recently by a woman named Sheila Gregoire. She runs a blog called To Love, Honor, and Vacuum at a Belleville. She's fantastic, just addressing some of the concepts we have often, and she's quite good at it. Uh, And just the idea of justice, I was on another plane uh, watching another Liam Neeson movie. I don't know why I'm always watching Liam Neeson movies, but it was the movie Taken, and if you don't know the premise, his daughter was taken and was going to be put into the sex slave trade. Now, I have a 17-year-old daughter going to grade 12, and I have a 15-year-old son going to grade 11, but my daughter was in grade 9 at the time when I watched this, and I was so angry. And I got home that day, and they had just broken up a sex trafficking ring in Ajax, where I live. If you know Ajax, we have three hotels. All three hotels are being used for 15- and 16-year-old girls. I drove by them every day of my life. When I go work out, I have to see one of the hotels. And I was sick to my stomach going like, how do we get better at this? I do love, uh, in the last few years, I know in Stouffville they had a sex trafficking conference. They're good things to get involved in and to be aware of. But the idea of justice, even in this, 90% of pornography contains physical or verbal aggression. Again, someone once said, it seems like we hate women in society and in media. I'm like, it often does. The, The word misogyny is something we have to address and how about just our witness, that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without a blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights of the world, Philippians. How about 2 Corinthians 5? Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. 
But what might disqualify you for a time in your life? Like, is it your ministry? What might disqualify you from your Christian ministry, your community, your friends? So where do we go from here? And I would say the biggest thing is going to be time. And uh, it's what you do with your time, your energy, maybe even your money. Now, if you're taking photos, I have a few slides in a row here. The first thing you're going to have to do is to decide that you are dead to porn. Now, don't forget, Christianity is a daily, strategic, intentional pursuit. Every day of your life, it's getting up. My pastor once said, when you're having your morning shower and it's just you in the shower, give like whatever you want to do, but like, God, I give you me today. Today, I give you my thoughts, what I look at, what I think, what I hear, what I do, what I, like, what I yearn for in my heart. Like, God, I give you me. And it's an everyday Every day you're going to have to do this. And then it's going to be putting barriers. And barriers are barriers. And thinking again on a larger construct of like a sexual ethic, I have some pretty big barriers. And it's interesting because I see the battles in the U.S. I have the same, I use most of the Billy Graham rules. If you don't know those, Billy Graham was not allowed to be like alone with a woman in a car or different things. And in the world we live in today, uh, it's interesting because all it takes is someone to say that Brett touched me after getting out of a car, and suddenly, like, you're like, oh, we booked Brett. I don't know if we should bring him in. Like, this is kind of what happens. So I don't go, when I get picked up at a church, uh, I just, I need to be picked up by a man and a woman. And I actually would rather be picked up by a husband and wife or something. Uh, and I don't eat in hotel bars because it's filled with lonely people. And does that, do I ever break that, though? Yes, right? There, there has to be a balance. I flew into, I was speaking in New Jersey, flew into Philly, which is on the outskirts, and I got out of my car, and my phone just blew up. I have all these messages. Brett, I'm in Manhattan, as a youth pastor. Manhattan, my son just broke his arm. He says, we're in a hospital. I may not even get to your talk today. And he said, my wife's outside. I know you can't drive with her. There's a taxi behind my wife's car. So get in the taxi. The taxi will follow my wife's car for an hour to the church. I'm like, dude, it's... It's okay. Like, but even, uh, it's just making sure that you're not going to set yourself up for temptations. Faith is a daily pursuit, meaning what are the things you do? Like, do you, before you get out of bed, is the first thing you see your phone? Is the last thing you see your phone? Maybe we can flip it, because that's what happened with me, and I flipped it now. I want the last thing that goes into my head to be prayers when I go to bed. And before I get out of bed, I want to talk. From, I don't feel well often in the morning because of my struggles, but I go through some gratitude things and some prayers in my head. The first thing is not going to be Facebook or social media. Again, just little things you change. YouTube has some of the most amazing things in it, and I don't know if we use it as well as Christians. Uh, somebody once said, but I don't have a Gmail account. And I'm like... They're free. Just go on the website and sign up for one. It's not hard to get. But if you're signed into YouTube and you're, click, let's say you're a parent clicking on parenting resources, the algorithm will start sending you parenting resources. Remembering all social media, all media like this is a, is a mirror of you, right? Even Facebook will start showing you things that are kind of you. There's tons of PDFs. Get some support. You do not need to do this alone. Now, this brings up another point, though, which is, I just finished a chapter in my book on this, on loneliness. We are becoming some of the most lonely people ever. 20% of millennials, 20% say they have zero friends. It was for many years, my generation, men in their 40s, 50s, and 60s, who were considered the loneliest in the world. And the honest truth is that other than my mental health slash Lyme struggles, my biggest struggle in my life is loneliness. I have lots of friends, but they're all, like one of my friends works uh, in Malawi distributing food on a boat. Well, I don't see him very often. Some of my best friends are pastors. They're preaching right now or they're in churches right now. And, and so it is a lonely world sometimes. And we have to look at how we can get connection. We have to look at how we can break cycles. Meaning the insanity cycle doesn't have to keep being that way. It might mean, I know one guy who got rid of his phone. Now he flipped, he got, he left it, got rid of his iPhone or Pixel, whatever he had, and he got a flip phone. You can actually buy flip phones still, by the way. But he just said, for six months, until I'm better, I'm just going to make sure that I don't falter with this. Uh, and then the idea of it's just time to detox. And breaking addiction, I love that image coming out. This is not easy. And if you are struggling with this, there are great people around, sex addiction counselors who can help you. Uh, Andy, uh, I always say Lundy, I think it's Lundy, lives in Newmarket, if I'm correct. And he, w he is a sex addiction counselor. Uh, I know three or four more, Peterborough, Ottawa. These are people who are counselors but specialize in things like this, sex addiction, porn addiction, and others. 
Set up accountability. It's good to have accountability people around you. By the way, not just for things like, like this. I have one accountability partner, and the only thing we talk about is how we are treating our wives. And it's, an, it, it's actually my hardest one. How am I speaking? What am I doing? Am I doing like the five love languages? Am I loving her how she needs to be loved? And we get together for a lunch once every once in a while, and it's, it's an interesting time. But, right, this is the iron sharpens iron. Get counseling. Someone once yelled out to me, counseling's for the weak. And I'm like, counseling's for the strong. Weak people do nothing. Have you ever said something, and you're like, I need, give me a second. I thought through it, and I'm like, you know what? I stand by that. I, someone who's struggling with anything, you're struggling with sex addiction, pornography, mental health. You're struggling in your marriage and relationships to say, I don't want this anymore. And to say, I'm going to book an appointment and sit down with someone and get a couple of days and get some strategies of how to get better. That is strength. Weakness is doing nothing. By the way, this is the easiest weakness in the world to change. Just book an appointment with a counselor. And the last one there is books. Please read everything. I think you should have, I think sex and pornography is such a pervasive and such a temptation in society. I never do not have a book on sex or pornography on my nightstand. I have about five books. I always have a theological one. I have more of a pop culture theological one. But then I always have one on this. And it's the renewing of your mind. So each day I want to read, even if it's a page some days, just remembering, ah, yes, I want to make sure that I'm doing things I need to. Your spiritual health needs to be growing. You should not be the same person you were at the beginning of the summer now. We should always be getting closer to Jesus, always growing in our spiritual disciplines. Your physical health should be the same. And parents, we need parents to parent. I always say this gracefully. If you don't want kids, great, don't have kids. But we need parents to parent. And a lot of what I do now is about parenting and make good decisions. And if you ever make a bad decision, make another good decision after that. One bad decision, not going to change everything. Ten, ten will. Fight, anything else. Uh, these are eight books I would challenge you to start with. Now, you, this might take you ten years to read. That's fine. But uh, there's a few of them that are pretty complex. This one and this one are more on the kind of the brain chemistry, the neuroplasty, sexual detox, and pure eyes. Uh, Pure Eyes was from a group called Triple X Church. YBOP in the bottom right is a Gary Wilson. Great book, by the way, uh, not faith-based. There are, uh, for those of you with younger kids, there are two books, and I have a YouTube video on this, Good Pictures, Bad Pictures, and Good Pictures, Bad Pictures Junior. So one is for like kindergarten. One brings you into the lower elementary grades. Someone once said, you're going to show kids porn in kindergarten? And I'm like, no, why do we always take things so, these are books that are written out just talking about how one day you might see this. And we talked about this with our kids and it was in grade three, my son saw his first pornographic image on my computer, on a kid's website. Someone had relinked something they shouldn't have and it popped up something like this. So this is just talking about that so that they have a language to process when they see something to then come and address it with you. And that also as a parent means you have a home where anything can be asked. There's no questions that can't get asked at the dinner table in my house. Some of the questions that made me choke almost to death on my food. But then after we answer it, the question is, how do you, where do you get that question from? And it's fascinating, the things that people say. Um, I would encourage you to watch this. Uh, it could even be a, an event you guys do one night and come in and whoever wants to see it sees it. It's like 10 bucks or something for it. But it is a really great documentary from a faith-based perspective on pornography. And all the videos that I showed today were from that. There are short courses. Uh, X3 Pure uh, and Covenant Eyes are some of the bigger ones. Uh, there is another one called the Conqueror Series. It's very American. I say that, what I mean is, it's like it, there's a military guy with an F-16 behind him and you're in like, a, like it's very army-based. I actually don't mind it. I actually like the series. But the point is, I know many men's and women's groups that do kind of these as a, you know, for the next six weeks in the fall or the winter, we're going to do a session. And you're like, well, that's a lot of things, Brett. How long do I have to do them? For the rest of your life. Now, Nietzsche, who I agree with some and disagree with some, says, for anything great to happen, there has to be a long obedience in the same direction. It's one of my favorite quotes. Whatever you do, it takes a long obedience in the same direction, whether it's like making a great marriage, whether it's, you know, being good at something you do, it, it's this obedience. And it's the same with these conversations on sex. 
This is your new mindset. It's your new battle plan, your new way of life. And these things are going to help you in all aspects, in all areas of your Christian walk, not just in the aspects of pornography, which we talked about today. In conclusion, uh, I want to give you a poem and then a couple of resources and we're done. I didn't write this. Uh, it's funny how when you research, I found this posted in one very obscure Reddit forum where someone was talking about his porn addiction. I walk down the street. There's a deep hole in the sidewalk. I fall in. I'm lost. I'm helpless. It isn't my fault. It takes forever to find a way out. I walk down the same street. There's a deep hole in the sidewalk. I pretend I don't see it. I fall in again. I can't believe I'm in the same place, but it isn't my fault. It still takes me a long time to get out. I walk down the same street. There's a deep hole in the sidewalk. I see it's there. I still fall in. It's a habit. My eyes are open. I know where I am. It's my fault. I get out immediately. I walk down the same street. There's a deep hole in the sidewalk. I walk around it. And the truth is, we all kind of want to say, I walk down another street. And I might even add one more in, which is if you see someone walking down a street towards the hole saying, hey, this might not be the best way to go. Um, I do have a table with different resources. All my talks you can get physically or digitally on Vimeo On Demand. Um, I do have a new book coming out for parents. Uh, it's about 250,000 words. It is a handbook, which is like that's six times bigger than any book I've ever done. It's like eight and a half by 11, 700 page handbook on every topic I speak on for parents. And it's uh, just going to editing in the next three weeks. Uh, we are raising some funds for it. If you could ever help, uh, it's, there's a sheet on my table. Uh, we also are a nonprofit. We always need help with different things, donations. I always say, too, if you have great quotes, great ideas, and good thoughts, you can send them through. And if you want to see any of my other talks, uh, you can go to mybreadalmond.com. Um, I have cards. I left them on the roof of my car when I drove out this morning. So I don't really know where they are. I will see them sometime on the way home. Um, if you just Google brettalman.com, though, uh, you will get my website. Now, I will say this. My website went live yesterday, my new one. So it, it, you're the first group who might go there, and you might find things that don't work or things that are not linked. If you do find something, please just send it through. But uh, there are all different blog settings, like whether it's pornography, dating, and, and there's lots of stuff we post on that. And I would encourage you to follow me uh, on YouTube and Instagram and those things. Uh, I do weekly videos for YouTube. Uh, I've done about 79 for parents presently. Everything from is masturbation a sin to how to tell your kid you love them. And students, I'm finding students are actually going there to learn those kinds of concepts for themselves. Uh, I have taken a few weeks off. I've had a, kind of a rough summer uh, on Lyme medications, but I am writing again, and I'll be starting those back up in a few weeks. I want to encourage you guys as a church. It is really encouraging for me as a speaker when you get invited to come and speak and talk on tough topics like this. And I think it's great because it just, it opened, it, like there's no unwritten rules anymore, right? You talk about it, you address it, you continue these conversations after the summer. Thank you so much. If you want to chat, I'll be at the back. Hope you guys have a great weekend and the rest of the summer. Bye-bye. Amen. Brett, thank you so much. I, I just affirm and endorse everything that's been said. Bet you even your wife can't say that about all your talks, you know. Um, how do you respond to something like this? A tough talk, a courageous talk. And I, I just come back to this idea of repentance. You know why God loves repentance. It's not to keep us cowed and embarrassed and, and shamed and sort of put in our place. It's because we have a holy God who really desires relationship with us. And there's just no better way to maintain that relationship, to keep a, a soft heart towards God than keeping short accounts, confessing your sins. And so a true repentance is really not just a, a mental ascent. It's a, it's a turning away. It's um, a sincere life change. So in doing a 180 and turning our, our back on that which is hurtful to God, uh, you know, I find it a curious thing about turning back to God is that once you turn, you don't have to walk for miles to get to the border of God's kingdom. Instead, you know, the boundary line is just a, a step away. Just a step away. It doesn't matter how far you walked in the wrong direction. Once you turn around, 
God and his kingdom are, are right in front of you with open arms. So, I mean, go figure. It's just God's grace. Will you stand? I think this is a, a, a verse that Brett referred to. And uh, really, I'd like to make it our prayer. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you and you only have I sinned. And done what is evil in your sight. You are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Yet you desired faithfulness even in the womb. You taught me wisdom in that secret place. Cleanse me with hyssop, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God. Renew a steadfast spirit within me. Don't cast me away from your presence. Don't take your Holy Spirit from me, but restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Open my lips, Lord, and my mouth will declare your praise. You do not delight in sacrifice or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, O oh God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. You, God, will not despise. Let's make this our prayer this morning. One thing I resisted was that this would be sort of us checking a box. Okay, we've addressed that issue. Let's move on. We, we need to think of this as a long-term conversation, a strategy. I don't know necessarily what that even looks like, but let me give you one idea. There's a gentleman in our church who would like to offer to start a group in the fall where we would just talk about this sort of thing. And so if that's something you're interested in and we just get a, 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 a reasonable number of people, um, would you email me? It's like, oh man, I don't want to email the pastor and have him imply that I struggle with this. Get over that, okay? And uh, we also have Johan who shared so vulnerably about his own struggle and he would love to pray with you and um, elders would love to pray with you and Brett has not had a question that has ever stumped him or that he's not that's been too weird you know talk to him after the service we're going to continue to have this conversation what does it look like for us to be a, a set apart people a holy people um, thank you church for I, I mean not every church would do this on a Sunday morning, and you're good people. I want to thank you for coming to church, but now, like, would you go be the church? You're a love people. God bless you.